again. Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Psalms. I will be reading Psalm 8, the eighth psalm. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. And yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Blessed is the reading of God's holy song of praise to our souls, our mind, our community. Holy Father, let us feel what David felt by your spirit. For you have made that same spirit to dwell in us who believe you have brought us to life, to see and to marvel at your majestic glory. So cause that to happen in the time remaining as we unfold this text to the glory of Jesus. Amen and amen. This is a fairly simple psalm. Simply calls us to worship, to, to adoration of the majesty of the Creator. The creator who revealed himself to Abraham and to Moses. In the beginning, God created. God there is the Hebrew. Elohim. Elohim, God, has a title. Hebrew title, Adonai. Meaning God is Lord or Sovereign. And this creator, this God, Adonai, revealed his proper personal name to be Yahweh. You know the story 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They accumulate while they're in Egypt over hundreds of years and are in slavery for a few hundred years. And the baby Moses is born raised up in Pharaoh's house, kills the Egyptian, has to flee to the wilderness, and he's there for 40 years. And after 40 years, one day while tending his flock, he sees a burning bush that is not consumed. And he hears the audible voice of God in Exodus 3, verses 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am. Am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Elohim, God said, I am, has sent you and tell them Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has sent you. This is my name forever. And then you flip over to chapter 6 of Exodus. And we read this in verses 2 and 3. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. But now does. God's personal name in the Hebrew Scripture, is made up of four consonants in the Hebrew. Hebrew actually has no vowels. The whole alphabet are consonants. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dadad, Hey, Vod, Zayin, on through. And then if you're thinking, how can you ever speak? You can't do it without vowel sounds. Correct. They're engulfed in the language when they see the two letters or the three letters or the four letters. And in their context, oh, they know which A or E or E or A to pronounce between the consonants. The Hebrew text are all consonants. This word is four consonants. The Yod, He, Vav, He. That's how God revealed his name to us. It's used 6,828 times in the Old Testament. Now, depending on the vowel sounds you put between the consonants, it 
probably, we just don't know for sure, would be pronounced Yahweh. Now, you all heard the word Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses, and why is it? Get a King James Version. Look at Psalm 8, and it says, Jehovah, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Because of different vowel sounds between, which actually came from another Hebrew word, Adonai. And they took those vowel sounds, which later became marked around the text called vowel points, and they inserted it to the four letters and would come out something like Jehovah. All right. Why did all that happen? Why do, are we not sure how it's pronounced? Because way back, the Jews, because of the fear of taking the name of God, his name, Yahweh, in vain, the four letters, they made the practice that when they read and when they did public reading, and there's the four letters, remember, thousands of times, to never pronounce it. But instead, they would pronounce another Hebrew word, a totally different Hebrew word, Adonai, when they saw the four letters. Adonai is another Hebrew word, and it means Lord. It means sovereign. It's a title, not a personal name. My personal name is Joe. Right here in this context, my title is Pastor. Adonai, Lord, is a title for Elohim, God. His personal name is Yahweh. And that name of God fits the Old Testament context where you know often people are given names that have to do with something about who they are and their character. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, one who wrestles with God. So God is saying, I am who I am. I am the I am. Because in this name, the idea is, I'm the one who has the power of being in and of myself. He is utterly transcendent, different from us. We are creatures. We are dependent. We began ever since conception and have always been changing, developing, becoming. God Never began, never became, never is becoming. Not I was, but now I am this. I am the I am. And the four letters are a play on that to be verb. Tell them I am sent you. It's a play, those four letters, turned into his name, Yahweh. Now just briefly then, that other Hebrew word, Adonai, it, it, it means Lord or sovereign. It's, it's used 450 times 
It's the main title concerning God. For instance, when you would read in your English translation, the Lord God. It's two separate words. Adonai Elohim, the Lord God. Now, soulmate, if you're there, notice how David begins. In our translation, if you have an ESV, O Lord, our Lord. Okay, can be a little confusing, but not. You notice something that the translators are helping you with. You notice the first Lord, all four letters, L-O-R-D, are capitalized. The second Lord, not so. They're small case, O-R-D. What they're telling you is that the Hebrew word that they're translating are two totally different words. The ones that are all four letters capitalized, they're telling you the Hebrew word being translated here is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And the ones that are not capitalized, it is the word Adonai, Lord. And so David opens up, O oh, Yahweh, our sovereign, our, our Lord, our Adonai, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. And so what we have here in Psalm 8 is a sandwich. Two pieces of bread. And in between them, it is filled with the meat of worship. The two pieces of bread are verse 1 and verse 9. He begins, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then comes the other piece on the other side when he's done filling it. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalm opens and it closes with an invitation to delight yourself in the awe-inspiring reality of who God is. In between those pieces of bread, David gives us the reasons why we should be wowed by his majesty. David shows us how he worships. I, he says, I look at the heavens and worship heavens. Now, if you look at the heading of it, this was to be taken now, put to music, and used in public worship. Which means, when David shows us how he's worshiping, this is to be instruction for all of God's people. David first then says, Yahweh, our Lord, you're to be... Adored. That's what he's, how majestic is your name. Why? Because you are simply mind-blowing as I think about it. Because your strength is bigger than all the galaxies. And that very strength is seen 
in the mouths of babies. Kids. Verses 1 and 2. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Your splendor, O Yahweh, is evident throughout the vast universe. And in a child's words, walking around on this ball of dirt, floating around one little star in the Milky Way galaxy that has over 1,000 million stars in it. And there's a contrast that David gives us between God's enemies and the, the, the seeker of revenge and the children, the infants, and what comes out their mouths. Because of your enemies, he says, you have established strength out of the mouth of little kids. His point is that what seems insignificant to many people in this creation overwhelms the so-called mighty who are God's enemies, the big brutes versus the mouths of children. And infants. So the question is, what's he referring to? What comes out of the mouths of the little ones? That he calls here, he calls it in the Hebrew, strength. What is it? Okay. Most likely, very most likely, it's praise. The reason I say that is 200 years before Jesus was born, over off in Alexandria, Egypt, there's a Jewish, large Jewish community. This is after Alexander the Great and the Greek language has taken over the world, and so they losing Hebrew and they needed to translate the scripture in to what they spoke, Greek. And so the translation from the Hebrew to Greek called the Septuagint, the 70, and that's an old myth, was done about 200 years earlier. And when they translated Psalm 8, and you translate it from the Greek into the English, it comes out like this. Out of the mouths of children and infants, you have ordained praise to silence the foe. Secondly, just hear Matthew 21, verses 12 to 16 for a moment. 
And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it into a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and they saw the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. These guys were indignant. Angry, and they said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read Psalm 8? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. <coughs> and so, David is saying that the praise of God is a lethal weapon, a blow against his enemies, especially when it comes from people who are considered to be weak and inconsequential in this world. Praise is That's the point. God's ways are not like the world's ways. He does often what He does the opposite of what you see in the world. Do you remember how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He says, Christians, and you can do it right here at Sovereign Grace or any local church. Consider your calling. Look at you. You got called to faith. You're a Christian now. Consider that, brothers. Think about it. Look around. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many, maybe some, but not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world in order to shame the strong. God chose what is low, despised in the world. Even things that are not in order to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. These are the things that blow David's mind about God's majestic name. And then he plunges into verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens to outer space and stars, 
I look at, in other words, I see it as the work of your fingers. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. That's what leads to verse 1 and verse 9. Oh Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David starts with the rational assumption. The, the biblical worldview that, first of all, these heavens, that moon, the sun, the stars, they belong to you. They're yours, O Yahweh. You place them there. The whole solar system that we live in, the Milky Way. Is all the work of your fingers. And we do have 1,000 million stars or so in this one little galaxy called the Milky Way. It's only one galaxy out of what scientists believe to be at least 100 billion other galaxies. In the universe. And I am here. A human being walking around. On a seemingly insignificant planet. Out on the edge of one insignificant galaxy. And that's what blows David away. Lord. You pay attention. To man. You are concerned with the human race. Takes his breath away. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man? That you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. That question is rhetorical. What is man? That's David's joyful amazement. God holds together the universe and at the same time has an individual concern for each human person. David has no doubt that he matters to God, the maker and the sustainer of everything. What is man? That's worship. It's David's way of proclaiming here, what a God! And he's not done yet. See, David 
He doesn't know that God cares because of looking at the stars and creation. In other words, he doesn't know God gives a rip about him just because of natural revelation. He knows it because of special revelation. The Bible. Verse 5. You, and yet you, have made Him, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings. And you crowned Him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under His feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. I wonder if you see it yet. David knows God cares uniquely for these creatures who are made of dust because the Bible tells him so. What we just read there in verses 5 and 8 are David's poetic summary of Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over it. That's where David gets it. There are millions upon millions of people in our country today who ask, what is man? And they answer, he's nothing but a cosmic accident. There is nothing, they say, but what is physical. That's all that there is in existence. Thus you're here, oh fellow human being, for a brief moment and then you're dead and you disappear as if you never were. Ancient paganism. that They would look up at the same stars David was looking up. To, and they would worship them because they believed that they represented the power over all things, over the universe. They are unpredictable, and yet somehow they were controlling their fate, they thought. We take the view of the existential atheist and their nihilism. 
What is man in this vast, massive universe? He's nothing. He's only a bunch of atoms thrown together with a particular DNA. Man is no more important in the large scope of things than a worm or a rock or the stuff a dog leaves behind on a walk through the neighborhood. And if there is no creator, they're absolutely right. But David got his answer from Genesis. So when he says in verse 4, what is man? It's not a snotty cynicism. It's amazement. It's wonder at the God who made humanity. Why was he so sure that the human being has purpose? Because God revealed it in Genesis 1. And that word from the outside of the universe, breaking in, that word from God says, mankind is the most significant creature in existence. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over creation. Philosophy is important. Real science, physical science is important, but neither of them get us to David's answer. Only God Choosing to reveal the answer to us in Scripture gets us there. Now think about it. When Yahweh, when the Creator became one of us, He said in Luke 12, Consider the birds, consider the ravens, your Father feeds them. Of how much more worth, value, are you than they. David leads us to praise the certainty of God's plan. O oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth, in all of your creation, look at it. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? And yet, 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And you have crowned him with glory and with honor. And you put him over all the works of your hands to subdue them. And then we pause and we say, wait a minute. Lord, you've put all things, everything under man's feet, it's all subdued by man. Well, what about COVID or pneumonia or cancers? or thieves, or murderers, or political tyrants. These things seem to rule at times. What do we do? What I'm going to do is I'm going to quote from a major commentator on Psalm 8. You can find it in Hebrews chapter 2. Starting with verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then he gives his commentary. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death. For everyone. And so it's true. We don't see Psalm 8. Or Genesis 1. In its final stage. Yet. But we do see. Jesus. Say it clearly. We do see. Yahweh. Who became. Man. He came. He suffered, he died, and he was raised from the dead. 
And he is seated right now at the right hand of power from on high. And he is reigning already over the whole creation. And he is, even now, presently bringing out of the darkness many sons, many daughters to glory. There is a man who conquered death. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And that's the assurance that all of his brothers and sisters whom he has redeemed will one day rule and subdue as well. As Revelation 5.10 puts it. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And finally, the way David puts it, David, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. Hear it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Oh, what is man? What a God. Psalm 8 tells us how we Christians are to respond to this. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Father. Glorious King Jesus, ever-present Holy Spirit, make us worshipers. Oh, we would see Jesus with the eyes of our mind through the Scripture. Oh, but also with the eyes of our affections and hearts. 
You have done it and are doing it. Draw us to you, O great creator of heaven and earth. Father, you are good. Exalt the name of the Son of Man in our presence as we close this morning. Amen. Let us stand.